Good morning, everybody. Assuming now you guys can see me and hear me, which is great. Um, it's great to be with you this morning. So we're, we're finishing week five of shelter in place uh, here at the Whitman House and heading into week six. Um, and yeah, it's just really great to be able to have a Sunday morning where we can all get together. And um, I don't know, we feel it here. We feel like we're close with all of you. And it's just, uh, it's really cool. And thanks to Dustin for getting us all set up like this with uh, some extra tech to make it all come together. I wanted to start this morning by showing you some of the art that Lucia's been doing uh, with Aisha. It's right here behind me, all these different colored uh, papers. And it's really been brightening my days over the course of um, the shelter in place. We call it the truth wall. And Aisha has set up verses for Lucia to color and then place up on her wall. Um, celebrating her art and in turn communicating the, the good news back to us during challenging times. Uh, it's been a real encouragement to Aisha and I um, in a variety of ways. And it's a good reminder actually for the context of Paul's first letter to Timothy into which we're returning today. Paul has sent Timothy to Ephesus to reform the church there whose leaders have been spreading heresies contrary to the kingdom of God. Um, this is Paul's first letter to, to Timothy. He actually has another one um, to him that comes later in time. We've been going through it prior to our uh, our Lenten um, time together, which we finished up at Easter last week. Uh, basically, what's going on in, in Ephesus is these these leaders are talking about things like dietary restrictions and genealogical connections, the kinds of stories that would maintain Jewish power. Um, over Gentiles within the new church. It's coming out of um, the Jews uh, first and then to the Gentiles. But these leaders are, are basically using these sorts of, I guess, made up rules in some respects to maintain and grow their own power and control over scriptural interpretation and who ultimately ascends to leadership in the community and who gets to be a part of the community. And so as we get into chapter four today, which is where we'll spend most of our time, imagine that you're Timothy. You've accepted the mission to walk into a church full of people you don't know, to call out leaders for their wrongdoing, and to restructure the culture of believers in one of Rome's most prosperous cities. Sounds easy, right? Um, but that said, things worth doing are rarely easy. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open to 1 Timothy 4. Um, I'll give you a chance to get there. Um, if you're on your computer, you can flip it over to Bible Gateway or something like that. But 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5 says, Now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits uh, and the teachings of demons, through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. And when I first read this portion of Paul's letter to Timothy, particularly the latter part of verse 1, referring to the teachings of demons, I was sort of taken aback. Is that word demon has a particular reference point for me. It's either total evil and horror, uh, or it's metaphorical. After reflecting on Aisha's discussion and the temptation of Jesus two weeks back, I've realized both of those 
uh, characterizations are actually incorrect. The first two of Satan's temptations to Jesus were to take scripture and modify it ever so slightly so that the words were the same, but the meaning was different. Jesus did not succumb to the trick, either of self-sufficiency in this case or of lacking trust in God. Most of us, well, we're all leaders, but uh, leaders in, in a church like the ones we're talking about in, in Ephesus or not need his strength, need the strength that comes from God not to fall into those very temptations. And it's clear the leaders of the church in Ephesus were not relying on Jesus. Genealogies, dietary restrictions, abstaining from marriage, all twisted readings of and creations from scripture uh, used to supply their self-sufficiency or power so that they needed to trust no one but themselves or those within their spheres of influence. And the scary thing to me in thinking about this is that these strategies can be employed by all of us if we're not careful. When our determination to be right supplants our desire to know and trust God, we quickly organize around that righteous cause, but in such a way as to exclude anyone, good or otherwise, who doesn't conform to our vision for that cause. When I was younger, I uh, heard a teacher describe the difference in trajectory that comes from um, turning the view of a telescope ever so slightly. So you, you, you would still see much of everything in the sky. It probably would even look different to you. Um, but even a millimeter turn would deliver you far from where you were previously aimed if you were to travel that line. And for these teachers, it's easy to simply call them evil as their actions have taken them to such a place, but it's not likely they started expecting to find themselves where they ended up. And this is a humble and important warning to all of us, and one which Timothy would have been well-versed in, seeing that Paul uh, in chapter one of the letter, had mentioned some of uh, these leaders by name as having fallen away. Uh, Alexander and Hymenaeus are two that he mentions. So these are not you know, people who've stolen into the house and, and done some things. These are former co-laborers and friends, not faceless enemies. Secondly, Paul reminds Timothy that in the face of these ever-excluding laws, that all things made by God are good. Harkening back to our study of Acts, where Peter is confronted with the same message in the dream about Cornelius's Roman family becoming Christians. Do not call unclean that which God has made clean. We were reminded uh, earlier this year, you know, that whole idea that uh, we want to qualify people by their lineage or their past actions or choices that they've made or even making. It's there for all of us. But Paul knows that the power of God's love is both victorious in the end as it is for those who are listening right now, as it beckons those who consider themselves to be furthest from God uh, or goodness to come in. Even Paul himself, and he, he writes this uh, actually, in, I think it's also in chapter one, which is, uh, which is funny, it's uh, among the sinners of whom I am the worst. And he really believes that, recognizes that. Um, it's that humility that calls us, uh, I, I think with, with so much strength to the love of God. And so he continues this in verses 6 through 10 uh, in chapter 4 to Timothy. He says, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. But have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourselves in godliness, for the training of the body has limited benefit. But godliness is beneficial in every way 
since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. For this reason, we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Paul knows that reminding the church about the goodness of the gospel will not just be good for them, but it will nourish Timothy as well. Speaking words of truth and love uh, to each other, especially when you feel vulnerable, grows our close, closeness with Christ because it enables us to place our trust in him rather than to feed our own fear. And Paul seems to double down on this in verses 7 and 8 as he takes care to redirect Timothy away from the distraction of myths, or as uh, it says in the message translation, stories that get dressed up as religion and refocus him on training his heart and mind in godliness. And as I, th as I thought about this, I was first puzzled about what myths or religious stories might refer to for us here and now. I only had to think for a bit to then realize that really anything I spend inordinate amounts of time on, which distract me from the foundational importance of following the way of Jesus, qualifies fairly well. And that could be, in my case, scrolling through Wikipedia. Um, I mean, I, I probably spent at least 45 minutes to an hour a day on Wikipedia. Anything from, you know, capital cities to geography to history to you name it. I, I waste a lot of time there. I don't think it's always wasted, but, you know, it's it's uh, I can do other things with my time. Uh, you know, sports sites, orange bloods. Some of these are things some of you have heard me say and others sounds like that's out of left field. You can always Google it and find out. Um, the other thing I, I thought about was just trying to maintain my own likability. Like, I love to be liked by people and, um, and having conversations like the ones Paul is sending Timothy to have are hard. It's much easier to chat about esoteric things, uh, you know, because they require little of us but discussion, like discussing certain theologies that don't actually touch our real life um, feel a whole lot easier than talking about what changes we're going to make and how we should make those changes together um, as a community or as individuals. And um, I think that's what Paul's reminding Timothy of. Um, those things are not are not nearly as important, um, and don't get don't get lost in those. Jesus' story about the Good Samaritan actually came to mind, and it convicts me more and more each time I read it that actions nearly always speak louder than words. And that brings us to Paul's encouragement to train ourselves in godliness. Paul seems like he would have liked a few things about Austin, uh, and Paul's a, a, a figure of a lot of discussion um, theologically, but uh, particularly the culture of, of biking and running and working out. It's a, it's a common metaphor he places throughout his letters to churches. Uh, you might have heard him say, run the race as to win the prize. Um, he's certainly not afraid of, of talking about things in a, an athletic format. Um, that's, uh, this, his first letter to the Corinthians talks about that. He'll later encourage Timothy to have a bit of wine each evening as well in, in chapter five. So I expect he might even enjoy the craft brewing scene here um, also. So, you know, Paul may sound tough sometimes, but uh, he might be worth getting beer with. But that's all to the side. What is godliness? A quality of being devout or pious pop up if you search it within Google, as does the word discipline. Now, if you're going to follow the way of Jesus as a disciple, you need discipline which comes actually from the Latin word meaning instruction and training. Discipline is 
different connotations to any of us, especially growing up with, uh, you know, maybe you were disciplined if you did the wrong thing. Um, maybe discipline was what you thought about in terms of waking up a certain time each morning, and getting to the gym, whatever it might be. But what's clear here is that the training or discipline, whichever word you prefer, that Paul's encouraging Timothy in, is the way of the kingdom of God, to follow and be instructed in the way of Jesus. Now, I am disciplined in some ways and completely undisciplined in others. I'm, I'm religious about making sure I stay active and try to work out at least every other day. Um, and there's nothing wrong with having practices that develop certain things in us, and many of those things are good. Uh, in my case, though, I was shocked about how little I connect the training that I try to do physically with the training Paul encourages Timothy to do spiritually. You care about your body, good, that's great. You know, your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, but yeah, what's, what's inside that temple, right? Treat your soul with the same rigor you do to try and finish a workout or win a race or lift a certain amount of weight, whatever it might be. I've always found the endorphins of workouts to be fantastic in the moment, but the highs from spiritual practices imprint upon your soul. They're, they're monuments to the memory of both who you were and, and are and want to be and what you believe. Um, and I can think of you know, times of summer camps, or I can think of moments where God met me in a tough spot, or just you know, certain uh, times journaling with, that, that stick like there yesterday, much as Satan would want me to forget them. Um, but that said, training is not easy. Um, building rhythms are not, it's not a, a simple thing. Otherwise, uh, we wouldn't have New Year's resolutions. Um, I feel like I've gotten it into my mind. That, that, what, that I have to like what I'm doing, particularly as it relates to time I spend in prayer and scripture and service. You know, if, or if my heart isn't in it, then I should wait until it is. Um, and it's actually quite a load of nonsense um, or, or poppycock. I don't know why. I just wanted to say that word. You haven't heard it since probably some 60s Disney film, um, but if you prefer. But let's reflect it on for a moment. Um, that's actually what it is. For instance, if I only served Aisha when I felt like it, things would fall apart. I may not feel like going to work or taking out the trash or changing Lucia's diaper. It's, but, but I do. And it's right. And it's good. Um, it's ridiculous to think that I would, I would apply it there. But uh, when I think about it spiritually, I, I fall for this trap. Um, like I better be thrilled to be there focused right on God with all that I am every time. And this is the lie. I think that makes me, I think that it makes me more spiritually astute in the moment when in reality I show myself to be all about me. If it's not my idea, if it's not my desire, it's my inclination, then it's not true or worth doing. And again, the things that are worth doing are often the most challenging. Spiritual warfare is real. Something that sounds essentially spiritual can be a snare to keep you away from God. Satan does not want you loving your neighbor well unless you can profit from it. Convinces you not to put yourself out there, tell anybody what's really going on until it's completely safe. When is it ever completely safe? So we train. We train to overcome ourselves, uh, the me first mentality that like a virus infects our hearts and our minds. These parts of us take the gift God has given to us to use for others 
and convinces us to enrich ourselves. And then gives it a name like prudence or wisdom. It's robbery. And Paul's encouragement reminds us that on the other side of this training are men and women like the ones in Ephesus, leading the church in ways that appear spiritual, but are actually devoted to enriching and protecting themselves. So it's this training that keeps us from doing those things, that keeps us from being from, from creating blind spots that take us on a trajectory that is ultimately not good and not of God. So we have to train. One of the simplest and hardest things to do, I found, is, is to listen. Train yourselves to listen to God. In silence, in scripture, in songs, in doing so, uh, you can hear him tell you how much he loves you, how valuable you are to him. You were made in his eternal image. And what we also learn from training is that we don't have to fear. That being vulnerable is actually being strong. Last weekend, we mourned on Friday and celebrated on Sunday God himself being vulnerable unto death and then conquering it with love. Training in godliness strengthens us to walk without fear. As I wrote that, it's not so much that we're never going to have moments of of fear or anxiety, but those are conquerable um, because we can walk arm in arm with our Father into those things. And that's exactly what Jesus did at Easter, right? That's what we celebrate. It's not that this wasn't going to be of an insane amount of hardship and that it wasn't going to create serious anxiety, um, but that it was worth walking forward in, and that he goes before us and, and all these things. And, and when we can walk without that fear, the, the fear that stops us and paralyzes us, we can then unmask ourselves and watch our weaknesses become our strength. It is the truth of God's incarnate love that sets us free and releases us from the masks that we wear. The appearance of security, the prejudice of position, the fear of failure. We follow Jesus in order to learn each day how loved we are and how boundless his love is for all the world. Earlier in Paul's letter to Timothy, he reminds him that God wants everyone to be saved. Um, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. To be bringers of that love, we must train ourselves in rhythms of love that reflect our knowing God is with us right here on this this very stream, wherever you're watching this from, right here, right now, to accomplish that in our hearts, to build out those rhythms of love that remind us of who we are uh, and what he has come to accomplish in us. So what does training in godliness look like for you? For me, I needed someone close to me to help. So this week, we have our date nights on Thursday, Thursday nights, many of you know. And Aisha encouraged me to just take a walk around the neighborhood. So she told me to take a walk, which sounds like she was mad at me. But she just said, you know, take, take some time. I just want to give you that time if you want to take it. Just go take a walk around the neighborhood. Listen, take some headphones if you want to, and just, just reflect. And... I, I was kind of stunned by that at first, but, but then I said, oh, okay, yeah, that actually doesn't sound too bad. And I didn't know myself well enough to know how much I needed this, but she did. It was wonderful. And it was liberating to, to be known and then to reflect myself on all that was going on, both around me and inside of me. And 
you know, as we stay at home during this time, we have opportunities to be creative and consistent in our training. Perhaps uh, for you, it's, it's reading through the, a book of the Bible you never read before uh, or committing to listening, uh, maybe on the porch with some, some coffee in the morning or just to some music or maybe it's confession um, and talking, you know, vulnerably through the computer to one of your friends um, or journaling your prayers. Whatever your, your rhythm, training, discipline of love may be, know that Jesus is waiting there for you. And out of that training, you will be empowered by God, not just to love your church, your family, or your friends better. You will. Or even your neighbors. It can also be hard, but maybe we're all meeting some of them right now. You actually might, though, just be empowered to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, who use the church for power and injustice, because that's what Timothy was called to do. And that's just what he did. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for all the tools that you give us to to be together at a time like this. And to also know that we're linked by your spirit to be close in the things that we do together as a church and as a community to to love those around us. But also, Father, to recognize that, that that. it's okay to sometimes not feel like we want to be here um, and to not feel um, the way that we think that we should, but to know that just showing up, just being committed to say, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to train. I'm going to follow you. Um, that you see that is good, that you're honored by that, and that you love us, whether we uh, are, got four hours of sleep last night or 10 and feel refreshed and wide eyed or not. And uh, we're, just grateful for the fact that to uh, these letters that we get to read from Paul to churches and to people like Timothy are not so far from us now, um, but actually teach us things that are incredibly profound for the ways that we need to live our lives today um, to encourage us to trust you more. Um, and just, just to recognize again, how much you love us. Um, you have gone before us and before others uh, in the church um, doing things that, that we want to do well today. And so we, uh, we're just, we're honored by, by that love and just ask that you would um, continue to be with us during this time and help show us what that training could be for, for each of us to take this time and, and turn into something beautiful. So um, we love you so much. And uh, as we go into a time of communion, just ask that you would continue to draw near to us and remind us that you're right here with us uh, right now. Jesus' name, amen.